It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at IB Times UK. Welcome to In The Field, a podcast where each week we speak to reporters around the globe covering the stories that matter. This week we're looking at Egypt, the most populous country in the Arab world. Since the 2011 revolution, Egypt's been gripped by political and economic uncertainty. Farid Farid, a reporter on the ground who's covered Egypt widely for IB Times UK on how people feel about their new government and the economic and political problems that the country faces. After that, we're talking to Nahel Al-Sharif, a journalist also based in Cairo, who covers Egypt's social problems and particularly women's issues. Welcome, Farid. Thanks, Orlando. So it's been a very busy week for Egypt, obviously a busy couple of weeks. We had the Mohamed Morsi verdict, which was perhaps not unexpected. We've had the IMF package. Uh, and of course, we've had General Abdel Fattah Sisi, the leader of Egypt. We've had him saying to Donald Trump, one of the first leaders to say to Donald Trump, uh, well done on your election. So were you, were you surprised that the kind of love affair we've seen already between Sisi and Trump? No, I think strong men are attracted to each other. It's the same uh, posturing and, uh, you know, flagrant rhetoric. Uh, they become strange bedfellows. It's no surprise that uh, Donald Trump uh, attracts anti-Semites and uh, rabid, uh, rabid pro-Zionists as well as um, President Sisi. And that has currency on the Egyptian street, uh, unfortunately, in a, in a country where conspiracy theories are rabid and they become the talking points of uh, people on everyday people. They believe the conspiracy theories about Clinton uh, being a secret Manchurian candidate uh, as part of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, international organization, stretching all the way from Huma Abdin being her aide to, um, you know, uh, theories about um, an American colonel still under hostage in in Egyptian custody. Mm, it's fascinating because I've actually seen a couple of tweets and Facebook posts by people in the Arab world right. who have said what they like about Trump is that he has advocated you know, isolationism, not going into countries like Iraq. He was against Afghanistan. Right. Uh, he's opposed to intervention in Syria. Yeah, that doesn't carry. And even um, Jeff Sessions, one of the senators who's in the transition team, uh, saying that one of the countries uh, that... Uh, as part of the Muslim registry, uh, the countries to be banned or citizens to be banned from entering the states, Egypt is on the list. Yet that doesn't deter Egyptians from 
um, you know, loudly backing Donald Trump because he gives the veneer of stability, um, which is also what Sisi has been telling the Egyptian people for the past three years. Yet so far, uh, political promises have not been uh, tangibly achieved. It feels like with Sisi that he actually... I mean, everybody has, you've written a number of stories on it yourself. I mean, everybody right. has kind of shown what a kind of buffoon he is. And yet he seems to be as solid in his position as ever. Absolutely. So um, you mentioned about the isolationist rhetoric of Trump. Um, the common mantra that's repeated almost in, in all of the the worst talk shows in Egypt and still television is king in Egypt, even though internet penetration is, is getting more by the day. Um, well, at least we're not like Iraq and Syria. So that's always seen as the deterrent that Egypt is a bulwark um, of uh, stability uh, surrounded by neighbors that are falling by the wayside. You have Libya, uh, Syria, Iraq, um, and, and using all of these straw men to paint that Egypt is not good, but it's not bad. Do people still talk about the revolution and what do they say about it? No, I think it's been the counter-revolutionary machine in terms of the propaganda has made the revolution a dirty word. So all of the activists that have been locked up, uh, the same people, uh, I mean, it's it's the same baffling phenomenon of the same people who voted for Obama, the same people who voted for Trump in the Midwest. Well, it's the same in Egypt, you can say, the same people who went out to the streets in 2011 are the same ones that went out in 2013 to overthrow. I wouldn't call it a democratic president, but um, um, in all senses of the word democratic in terms of people having um, violet ink on their fingers. And then it's the same people who went out and said, uh, we, we want this president to lead us into the future, who are complaining and grumbling, but are too afraid uh, to do anything about it and also sick and tired of protesting. So protesting now has become a dirty word in a sense. Um, and, and it's backed up by uh, legislation such as the draconian protest law and just this week a repressive law that regulates the work of non-government organisations. They've also uh, been branded as traitors and conspirators, fifth column agents. Uh, it all feeds into this idea that Egypt is pure and it's being defiled by uh, the West, yet it's when it comes to um, international financial institutions coming to Egypt, that's all well and good. So it's this contradiction that we're living in these days mm. uh, that's really interesting to, to be part of. And amidst that kind of repressive police state that Sisi and his cohorts have, have created in mm -hmm. Egypt, I mean, how how is it working as a journalist, working for Western publications, writing stories like you did about kind of memes ridiculing Sisi and so on, right. you know, about his courts locking up a six-year-old, I think, or three-year-old that we did, that story. Yeah. I mean, what... How are you able to go about your work? And is, is there a risk when writing those kind of stories? Yeah, I think um, you can't be too audacious these days as much as you want to be. Uh, you you got to be um, understanding of the situation because Egypt is one of the worst offenders in terms of jailing journalists, not just the famous Al Jazeera English case. But since then, there have been flagrant um, 
flagrant offenses of locking up journalists, uh, censorship that's rife, and even self-censorship that I think many of us, uh, foreign journalists and uh, Egyptian journalists alike, are also complicit in. Um, It's becoming harder, but that doesn't mean that we can't do the work. So I also don't want to... um, play into this uh, narrative in that yes the work is hard but um, it's not a war zone as such so you have to pick your stories and there's no shortage because I mean it, uh, absurdity is just taken to a whole new level on a on a daily basis mm. it really is every day there's, there's Hilarious, but they're, they're comic and tragic at the same time because that's that's the political moment that we're living in, and it's quite vexing, uh, and you can't remove yourself from these stories in a way. Do you find there's an interest from editors in Egypt for those stories nowadays, or is that waning? I think it's always going to be a story. After 2013, a lot of people wrote off Egypt as like, there's not going to be, it's not going to be the story, but I still think as the most populous Arab country, uh, one where it's been involved in pivotal political moments, not just with the Arab Spring, but also before that in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian case, uh, Libya and so on, Egypt will always be this hub for journalists, but also for crazy stories. I feel like with Syria the way it is, with Iraq, um, that there's not much interest in the Egyptian story and that's sad sure um i wonder whether that will change or whether it will just rumble on for another 30 years of dictatorship before it's overthrown and uh, you know revolution or a coup i get you um i don't think it'll take 30 years but even if it happens again so that's that's the 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 crux okay you have another revolutionary moment let's say where people rise up and overthrow um a dictator or an autocrat, what are the alternatives in place? And that's what the regime is actually using. That's what Mubarak used in his final days. And even back in 2009, where he said, if I go, it's either me or chaos. And that's becoming true because it's the same Mubarak men are back in parliament. Mm. They're heading up human rights committees. They can be presidents of football clubs like the Zamalek Football Club and simultaneously be in parliament. There's hardly any conflicts of interest Mm. um, that are tabled or they're there for the public to see, but there's nothing uh, to stop people from accruing political and economic capital at the same time. Um, I think it'll be a story somehow, but it'll be in that muted, stagnant um, tone compared to Syria and Iraq, unfortunately, even though there's a lot of... um, let's say, sectarian tensions, which I've also written about, um, that are rife. Um, Police brutality is back in full force. Just this week, a Christian citizen uh, was tortured in a police station, video widely shared, but his own family couldn't protest and, and wanted to shut down the graphic video evidence. Until that climate uh, subsides a little bit, um, then people won't even think about going out. And as an Egyptian resident, as someone who lives in Cairo, yeah, how is life now? I mean, are you feeling the effects of what is generally believed to be a kind of economic crisis? 
really in Cairo, I mean, in Egypt? Yeah, for, I mean, I can't speak um, directly to that because um, I travel a lot as well, but um, I'm not feeling the pinch compared to the average Egyptian, and that's people in my family who are solidly middle class, but it's becoming expensive. Mm. Um Egypt has taken important economic steps, such as lifting the subsidies that has been prescribed by various financial institutions for decades as a panacea to economic growth. But it's not substituting that with wages. Mm. Um, the market is so arbitrary. The black market really rules um, Egyptian economy. There are no safeguards. A lot of people are making money, but a lot of people are suffering. The average income, 25% of Egypt live in abject poverty, under $2 a day. Mm. And there's not much above the $2 line. So it's a very, very um, a small slice of Egyptian society that's reaping the benefits of the devaluation and so on, but everyone is hammering. It's even affecting Egyptian students at international institutions who can't transfer money, who are studying here in the UK, for example, even though they're elites, but it's affecting everybody. And when it starts affecting um, elites, you know that there's a problem, that there's no roadmap, economic roadmap to get us out of this quagmire. It'll keep on sinking and sinking. And as a as a freelance journalist based in Cairo, I mean, you could go to another city or another country if you wanted to. What keeps you in Egypt? I think I have an in uh, insider outsider perspective, being Egyptian myself, that gives me a bit of access when talking to people, where I can uh, maneuver and 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 wriggle my way into meeting, um, let's say, uh, talking heads, uh, politicians, but also everyday Egyptians who are affected uh, by life, really. Uh, I think that keeps me grounded there. I get I'm I'm lucky in that I also get to spend a lot of time outside of it just to stay sane. Uh, but it's just one of these magical places in Cairo that just sucks you in. It works to my nocturnal rhythms. And, um, there's no shortage of storytelling uh, from people hanging out at cafes. I like to hang out uh, and just keep my eyes. Uh, open and my ears open to, to what's happening around us because uh, like I said before there, there's levels of absurdity have been broken every day cool thank you so much for your time Farid and uh, I look forward to more of your stories appearing in IB Times I really appreciate it Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. That was Farid. Now we're going to talk to Nahal, who's been covering Egypt as a journalist since 2011. She's going to explain how that job has changed in the five years since the revolution. It was crazy because at least for me, I had no idea what was happening. It was bigger than other protests, but it was very weird. And then the the protests that followed throughout 2011, even after Mubarak was gone, it was going very fast. And I think everybody, the media, the politicians, the activists, everybody was trying to figure out what was happening together. So it, it it wasn't it wasn't easy to report on because you know that you can you realize that everybody is trying to interpret what's happening but no one is really sure what's going to happen exactly. Yeah, and I suppose it's difficult also as an Egyptian. I mean, you you're very much wrapped up in events as well as um, you know, being a journalist. Yeah, I mean, of course you're worried about yourself, about your family, your family's worried about you. You're trying to calm them down while also doing your job. And and also other people look at you like friends abroad would be getting in touch, trying to understand what was happening. And you try to explain to them while it's not really easy because you're you're as a journalist, I'm not part of what's happening, but as an Egyptian, I am. So it was very tricky in the beginning. Of course, yeah. And how has that changed compared to you know five years five years on? I mean, how is uh, how is it different reporting in Egypt now? People are tired of what the media is trying to tell them what to do, so they don't want really to talk to the media anymore, um, and. Some of them are suspicious. Some of them are just not interested. So uh, on one level, it's not as easy to get Vox Pop, for example, in the street. It's very tricky. They could attack you. They could refuse. They could take you to the nearest police station. Um, And on another level, I think after 2011, uh, the the government was trying to be more open to the media and at some point there were a lot of press briefings now they're not really responsive to the media whether it's the public or the government we've seen a major crackdown on journalists in egypt in recent years especially since sisi so that must be a risk also yeah of course i mean that's one side and the other side is that are you going to be able to do the the easy stories or the supposedly easy stories, like talking to people in the street, getting the atmosphere. And that's not very easy. I think people are now trying to do it on friendly basis, like ask friends of friends or friends of family. And also 
at the same time, these people are still worried. Like they, they wouldn't want to do it on camera, for example. They would want to do it um, anonymously. And it, it, it's still doable, but it also, it, it doesn't look very credible somehow. So it's very tricky. I know that an area that you're you're interested in, you've written about a lot, is social issues, particularly women's issues. I mean, is that how is reporting on, on that particular area? Is that particularly difficult? Not really. Um, I think, like everything else, it depends on how you're doing it. Um, like, for example, I I did a recent story about this. Um, it's a like a program to help women save money and get loans but it's very informal like each group of women they form their own group and they save money together and then they get loaned from the same group um and that's because they can do it really with the banks because first the amounts are very little banks wouldn't give you um this like it, it's like 500 egyptian pounds which is nothing now um and the other side, because a lot of them are illiterate and to do it through the bank, you need a lot of paperwork. So this is done under the um, like the, the umbrella of a lot of international organizations. So it, when I was doing this, I was doing it through these organizations or the National Council for Women, UN Women. These organizations help you when you go to the to the area they put you in touch with people and if you're going through them people are more responsive to talk about the initiative to talk about themselves but if i'm going to walk around the street um just asking people for example about women about prices i don't think i will be able to do it that easily so that's one side of it i think also like things related to violence and harassment um I think next week uh, there will be one week of events related to violence against women and rape. And for me, that would be a very good opportunity because there are lots of events, lots of speakers, a lot of people, even the audience, they are willing to talk because somehow the atmosphere um, encouraged them to it. But if, if it wasn't the case, maybe it would be a little bit difficult to talk to people on the street. Those issues that you mentioned, are they, are they, are they worse under Sisi than they were under the Brotherhood or before the revolution? Uh, like harassment and violence? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I, I don't, I, I didn't look at them um, in terms of Mubarak revolution, more Sisi. It's somehow more related to the amount of coverage they're getting. Um, I think it was around 2008. I'm not sure when the first, like the first big trial um, happened related to sexual harassment. And since then, it's been under the spotlight. And the more people report on it and talk about it, I think things are changing even on a legal level, like laws are tougher um, social wise, it's not changing that much, but, and maybe that's probably a very personal impression, but somehow 
right now, these past few months, I feel like men are thinking twice before catcalling, for example. So it's not, I don't, I mean, the problem under Mubarak is that the first lady, for example, was denying it completely. And she was saying these are individual cases. Right. But after 2011, and of course, there were a lot of incidents in Tahrir Square, people accepted it that, okay, it, it is a big problem and it's part of our society and we can't deny it anymore. And the people in power cannot deny it anymore. But it's not really, I don't, I haven't seen it related to the change of people in power, but it's rather how people are focusing it and they continue to focus on it. Even when some people say, oh, enough with this, we've heard enough um, about violence against women. But the more they report on it, I think it's changing slowly, maybe. Mm. And what about as an Egyptian day to day, we saw the devaluation of the pound. There's been serious economic issues for Egypt, uh, not to mention political. I mean, what, what's it like living there now? Is, it, is there optimism or is there pessimism about the future? I don't think there is optimism. Um, I think it's a mixture between pessimism and th- there is there is a group of people who are who are thinking, okay, we we have to go through this. We we life moves on. So somehow there is an a mixture between pessimism and acceptance. Right. Um, but I think the problem is with the latest move. Um, more people are feeling the the crisis and. It, it was only maybe related to the lower classes and the lower middle class. Now even the upper middle class are feeling the, the problem. And there were protests at the American University in Cairo, for example. And it, I think it's seen as one of the most expensive universities, if not the most expensive in Cairo. And uh, the rates are pegged to the dollar. So just one, like after the, the day when the government changed the um, the rate, they found themselves that they will have to pay more than double for the next semester. And they've right. been protesting ever since. Um, so I think that's the main thing is that the the crisis is, is hitting a wider range of people than it used to. So that's the situation on the ground in Egypt at the moment. We've included rich links to some of Farid's reports from Egypt in this podcast. So if you're listening on Acast, please be sure to go back and check them out. There's plenty more pieces on Egypt on the website as well. And for more information, please go to ibtimes.co.uk. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Next week, we'll be focusing on the situation in Ukraine, three years on from Maidan. And we'll have an exclusive interview with feminist activist Inna Shevchenko. Until then, I've been Orlando Crowcroft, world editor at IB Times UK. Thanks for listening and take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. 